1: And the pitch to Campbell swings here and sends a ball well. This one out to deep right center field, and it is gone. Say goodnight to it over the right field wall. Dylan Campbell extends his hitting streak to 30 games, and what a way to do it. An opposite field two-run homer to put Texas in front 2-0. Stretch down from Ross. Here's the pitch. Swung on, and that's hit down the right field line. And that is going to be over the head of the right fielder Shimashita. One run scores as Carlson scores. O'Dowd had to hold up. He stops at third. How about an opposite field RBI double from Jalen Flores to tie the score at three? Two balls, no strikes to count. The 2 0 and that's lined in the right field, of base hit. One run scores. Campbell being waved to the plate. He will score. So both Peyton Powell and Dylan Campbell score on Porter Brown's two RBI single to right. And the Longhorns now lead it 6-3. Here's the pitch here. Kennedy swings and puts a charge into this one. Back to deep left center field. You can say goodnight to it. Kennedy with his third home run of this series. Oppo Taco on the two-run blast. And it's 8-3 to three, Texas. Here's the 2-1 to Campbell. Swings here and it's a hard hit. Ground ball and it's past the shortstop. Theo Hardy. In the score from third is Jalen Flores. And it's 9-3, Texas. Gilmet swings and puts a charge in one. Out the deep left center field. Back to the warning track, and it's off the wall. One run scores. Campbell will stop at third. Gilmet with an RBI double. And the Longhorns now lead 10-3. Swung on. Here's a little looper down in a shallow center. Caught. I mean, dropped in. Excuse me. Went under the glove of the center fielder, Collette. And it is, there's a base hit. A second one for Jalen Flores. Scoring from third is Tanner Carlson. RBI single to make it 14-3 Longhorns. Here's a pitch, ground ball, and that's through on the left side of base hit. Thomas with an opposite field RBI single to score Jack O'Dowd from third. And it's 15-3 Longhorns. One ball and one strike, the to count of to Ground ball to third. Up with it, Powell to second for one. Relay to first in time. 5-4-3 double play. The Loghorns turn it, and just like that, this inning is over. The 2-1, and that's yanked down the left field line. That's a fair ball into the corner. It'll score two runs, maybe three. Yep, it'll be three. Powell motoring all the way in. Gilmet clears them off with an RBI double. The Loghorns get back the three runs they surrendered in the top half of this inning, and they now lead 18-6. Now that would be the final of the second game. That was the lesser output of the two games that Texas won over the weekend. They had 24 late on Friday night. That was after losing the disappointing doubleheader and series opener on Friday afternoon San Jose State. They bounced back big and win two out of three from San Jose State. Final non-conference series of the year. Now comes a pretty important conference series for Texas. A lot of dominoes ready to tip one way or the other on that. That's just part of what we have on deck for you here this morning on Light the Tower here on the Horn, 1049-1019, AM 1260. We're live local and digital on the Horn app and in Hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howe out again today. He will be back tomorrow. Uh, uh, Jeff doing uh, a few medical things today, I think he said, but he is um, just getting caught up on a couple of things, but he will be back in uh, tomorrow. Our producer. Cameron Parker, off a busy weekend of his own, joins I You know, I've thought about this. As busy as you were uh, with uh, Round Rock baseball in that playoff series, then you came out, I saw you on Saturday at uh, UFC Udish Field for the Saturday game. How much golf watching did you get in? I mean, you did, after all, have a PGA tournament going on just 200 miles to the north up there in the Metroplex. I watched probably
2: absolutely zero golf this weekend. Really? I
1: none of the Nelson
2: checked in. I'm not a big fan of, of TPC Craig ranch, also called TPC Craig James to some of us. Yeah. yeah it's not yeah, a yeah, great yeah. course. Not exciting. Yeah. I was checking and seeing how Scotty was doing kind of fell up. Didn't really fall apart. Just didn't do anything in the back nine. Jason day. Great story to see Jason day come back. But with the PGA this week, I figured, okay, let me just um, replenish all my golf
1: watching. Look at my you energy. clearing the palate a yeah. little bit, huh? Before you get ready for the PGA championship. Uh, um, uh, I I agree with you uh, there, and I haven't I haven't played golf at Craig Ranch. I don't know. Some say, hey, you know the name. I haven't played a round of golf there, um, but the people that I trust and visit with in the Dallas Four were there. said it was it was just too easy to target golf. there. Yeah. you know. I think golf fans really they want to see a challenging course, but they don't want to see one that just is absolutely unfair and completely punitive, like some U.S. Open courses can be mm-hmm. from time to time, but um that was one, and you know, and it comes off the the one down, uh, what was it, Trinity National? What was the one down there on the Trinity River yeah. where they played? And that that one was not well received. And part of that was everybody got so used to it being at the Four Seasons Resorting yep. Club TPC, and it was wonderful there. It was awesome. It was even for old schoolers who go back pre-82, I guess, or pre-83 uh, when it was at uh, Preston Trails. When it was there in the uh, starting in the late '60s, throughout the '70s into the early '80s, that was a great place to have it. Uh, but, uh, but, but it it really established itself at Four Seasons Resort and Club TPC Course, and it's it's a shame that it isn't there anymore. Yeah. But, uh, but hey, congratulations to Jason Day! Yeah, wins for the first time in five years on the tour, and and it leads right into the one major that he has won. Yeah when he won uh, back in 2015. Over Jordan Spieth. Yeah, the PGA. So, we'll see how that goes as they go to Oak Hill and Rochester, which is going to play a little bit differently from folks that at this time of year as opposed to in the summer for a U.S. Open or in August uh, for a PGA where they've had it. But it's a great golf course. So Yeah, a few
2: players goes. have talked about it today, and they say it's going to play long like wing foot, and it's a great course mm-hmm. if you can carry the ball 320 yards. Yeah. So, it's going to be a – looks like a bomber's paradise if you're thinking about putting some money down maybe that'll help Scotty Scheffler, Cameron
1: mm-hmm. Young, uh John Rahm guys like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It'll, uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. Thank you Ice Cream Main Trinity Forest yes. was the name of that uh, uh golf course down there where uh it didn't uh, it wound up not going uh you know, uh so well for them as well and they moved it out of there. Okay. Uh we've got a we got a busy day. Uh, we do have a Longhorn notebook coming up the bottom of the hour. You're going to hear from David Pierce. You're going to hear from Tanner Witt, uh, his third start since coming back, and much better than the other two. Wasn't perfect by any stretch, but much better, so we'll have that. Uh, we do have Inconceivable later on this hour. Also, coming up uh, next hour, uh, a uh, we'll have a Flex 30 update, and it's going to be an extended uh, Flex 30 update a little bit for a couple of reasons. One, we'll get you completely caught up on the baseball and softball playoffs for the area's teams. Also, in addition to getting you caught up uh, on the baseball and softball playoffs, I uh, had a brief conversation last night with our good friend Jamal Fenner, who, of course, had had so much success as head coach at LBJ and now, of course, is the director of high school relations for uh, for uh, SARC for the Texas football program. Had a brief visit with him last night at the National Football Foundation and College Football Hall of Fame uh, high school scholar athlete banquet. A great event last night. And and we'll recap that as well. So we'll have a little bit of an extended one there as well as uh, it being our second hour uh, Longhorn Notebook as well. So we'll do all that. But I wanted to do this. Uh, With the start that the Rangers have been off to and the the Astros trying to fight their way through it and some of the other things, uh, we we normally uh, every week have the opportunity to visit with Gene Watson, assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals, to talk big, big league baseball and uh, it wasn't going to work for us to do it late last week. So I asked Gene if he'd come on this morning. He was gracious enough to do it because he got to get on a plane in a little while, but he joins us right now on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. So I wanted to get to that. Gino, I appreciate the time. Uh, are, you, are you in the airport uh, a little bit away from boarding? Is that the deal?
0: I am, and this is. This is kind of new for me. Bush Intercontinental is not Ostrom-Bergstrom, so this is kind of a new world for me that I'm that I'm engaging in right now. So,
1: you know you know what we uh, used to always call it, Gino? We used to call it uh, intergalactic because you had to be in another galaxy to find the airport practically. Man, alive,
0: to... it is a hall. It is a
1: hall. <laughs> but, but from your new digs over your, where you're living over that way, I, I would imagine it's closer than going to Hobby, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah, by about thirty minutes. So. Okay, okay. But um, um, it's 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 adjusting the the flights out on Monday morning and the flights out on Sunday night. So, but we're making the most of it.
1: I got you. Okay. There's a couple of things I wanted to get to. Uh, one, uh, I wanna I wanna uh, Get your take on the Rangers because they continue to play good baseball and uh, come off that weekend series. Oakland had the big, the huge rally late. Here they are, ten above five hundred. They got a four-game edge on the Astros. Let me get your take first of all on Rangers and Astros, and then I want to ask you some other some other topical questions as it relates to MLB. First of all, your your take on what you've seen to this point for the Rangers, who by the way opened a big series against the Braves tonight in Arlington. But uh, how about your thoughts on Rangers and Astros?
0: Well, that is actually where I'm headed. I'm headed to Arlington to pick up the uh, Rangers versus the uh, Braves and Rockies. And so I'll get my first live look at them throughout the season. But I, I think it, it goes without saying that the biggest thing that you, you've seen from the Texas Rangers is just the sense of urgency that Chris Young has created. It started from Dane 1 in spring training. Uh, you know, he's been a part of world championship teams, organizations. And, you know, he looked at this. Roster and uh, and being able to add Bruce Bochy, he was not going to make any excuses or bones about the fact that he believed this is a World Series caliber team. Uh, they are incredible offensively. I mean, they lead Major League Baseball in all of offense. They put up runs every night. They've had a few bumps in the road medically with their pitching, which they they certainly hope to uh, get get right here in the next in the coming weeks. Everybody in baseball is in search of bullpen, including them, and so that tactical move of what they can add. Uh, to this bullpen and winning games late in October is going to be big for them. But the biggest asset they have is they have a very good minor league system. They have a very good upper-level minor league system. And so they're going to be able to play off of that with any kind of needs internally and also if they need to go out and make some trades. But uh, the biggest thing for me is the sense of urgency that Chris Young has created within the organization and Bruce Bochy has uh, uh, played out that vision.
1: Okay, uh, it's it's funny, looking at uh, MLB's website, they talk about, you know, they have a uh, power rankings, and the Rangers have cracked the top five in, in the power rankings there. Uh, the Astros sit at number 10, and they're four games back. Of course, we know about the injuries they've had as well. Uh, how about your thoughts on on where the Astros are?
0: Well, Jose Altuve is rehabbing in Sugar Land, and he, he hasn't had a great weekend, but right now it's just getting used to getting back to game speed and seeing live pitches, and just getting your body back in order. So he's going to be a big jump for them, not only uh, culturally, but just having that bat uh, in the lineup. When you look towards the bottom of the order, seven, eight, nine, they really need some help at the bottom of the order. So he's going to be able to push that lineup down a little bit. And they're going to need some help with with the pitching. They're going to need uh, Hunter Brown uh, to step up and be big. Uh, uh, Forrest Whitley at some point, uh, who everybody knows is a renowned prospect, is going to have to, chip in at some point, but but more than anything, I think right now they're just trying to get healthy and, and stay competitive in what is arguably one of the toughest divisions in baseball.
1: You know, uh, the, the Rays had that incredible start uh, to the season, and they're, they're 20 above 500. They're 31-11. I like what they had written about the Rays. They said they finally, finally showed some signs of slowing down. They dropped four or five games at one point against the Orioles, Orioles and Yankees, but they rallied back uh, they won yesterday to split the four-game series. There, uh, they still have the, uh, the the best record in baseball. They are going to be without Drew Rasmussen indefinitely, put on the sixty-day injured list with that flexor strain in the right elbow. Uh, are, are are the Rays as dangerous right now as we were talking about a couple of weeks ago?
0: They really are, uh, With the loss of Rasmussen it's going to be big. You, you don't replace the top of the rotation order like that. Uh, with a small market club uh, kevin cash has just done such a tremendous job of building a mindset and a culture within that clubhouse it's uncompromising this is who we are if you want to be here be a part of it if you don't we'll get you out of here uh, and they just play so well together randy rosarena is definitely the energizer the spark plug of that team he's added such a great edge uh, to that team. And, and it doesn't matter who they're playing. There was a day where Tampa Bay would go in and they were very, very good, but there were teams that were superior to them. These guys go into Yankee Stadium and they win all the time now. And so they've just got an air about them. Jose Siri <clears throat> has been a huge pickup for them from a defensive standpoint in center field. They they lost Wander Franco for a short period of time with an injury. So uh, they, they have to stay away from the injury bug due to the depth. But, but Kevin Cash has just done such a great job of creating a culture and a winning environment and expecting to win every time they take the field.
1: Two weeks ago, uh, somebody asked you about the Orioles, and you said, they're not a fluke this this team is for real and they're going to be around it so far they still look like everything you've said you know they're 12 above 500 and uh you know they took two or three from the rays uh they the, you know it's them and the jays and the astros the only teams to even win a series against uh tampa bay this season uh, how are the orioles doing this they've they've
0: really i mean Michael Ice has done a great job of emulating the model that the, he put place in um in Houston, uh, under Jeff now He was the scouting director for the Astros during that time and so he knew what the blueprint of selecting talent was and he's executed that in Baltimore. Um they've got a true you know, one of the best center fielders in the game is Cedric Mullins. They play extremely well to go together. They're a balance of defense and power. Um they're gonna need some help on the mound. Kyle Gibson was a great pickup for them. They've got some young pitchers in Kyle bradish and Tyler Wells uh, and Dean Kramer, but they're going to need some help, and they've got a great deal of upper-level uh, hitting prospects when you talk about Colton Couser and Gunnar Henderson, uh, Jordan Westberg. So it may be a point where they take one of these young position players and flip one of these pitching uh, position players to add some pitching depth to that rotation. But they, they've certainly got one of the more – young, talented teams in all of the game right now.
1: Talking Major League Baseball with Gene Watson, assistant GM of the Kansas City Royals here on Light the Tower on the Horn. Okay, Gino, we've we've talked about the the ones who are playing well. I've, I've got to ask you a couple of uh, other things. Uh, one collective team question and the other about some individuals. But I'm going to start with the collective, and it's just absolutely uh, mind-blowing to me, unfathomable to consider how bad – the Padres are offensively right now, worst offensive team in the National League, and I think second only to the anemic A's, who have only won nine ball games in terms of their offense. I think they're batting 224 is a team something like that. They got shut out yesterday, and it's not just the Dodgers are playing well and they're they're doing well. And, and, and as a Dodger fan, I'm going to give them their due anyway. But but beyond that, when I look at that lineup, and and you see Fernando Tatis Jr and Manny Machado, and Juan Soto, and Xander Bogarts, that team, and nobody is hitting regularly. What in the world is is the deal? Can anybody figure out what's wrong with the Padres right now?
0: Well, Craig, I've lived this, and you've witnessed it when you think back to those early 90s teams of Julio Franco and Rafael Palmeiro <laughs> yeah. and Juan Gonzalez and Ruben Sierra and Bud Rodriguez and so much talent up and down the lineup. This is a very similar situation where... You've got a bunch of ultra-talented hitters that are kind of all alpha players. And I think everybody's just kind of waiting to sit around and say, okay, who's going to take the ship? Who's going to who's going to step up and lead this? And everybody believed that Fernando Tatis Jr. was going to be a huge energizer for that team, and he was for a short period of time. But make no mistake, th- this team, they're going to come out of it, and it's going to heat up. The, the biggest thing is that the pitching, when it heats up, is going to wear down. That's that's number one for any team that has a high-octane offense. And so, as we get into June and July and August and the pitching begins to wear down, this is a team that's really got a chance to take off. It's just too talented up and down the lineup not to eventually come out of it. But but somebody's got to step up and be the leader of it and say, let's go, boys, and, and jump on my back, and let's go and let's take this thing to another
1: level. Is it a fair criticism to say that if those guys aren't going, they're really going to struggle because – they were so top-heavy, front-loaded with what uh, the Padres' ownership and management did to get those big names in and the salaries they're cranking out there that the depth behind them really isn't much. I mean, Cronenworth's a good ball player, but but he has had struggles of late, and, and they've had other guys had struggles uh, as well. And, and you know, that, that also is something, I think, that's been noted.
0: No question. And guys like Jake Cronenworth, guys like – Sung Kim, guys like Trent Grisham have to be the complementary players that they're capable of being. Austin Nola, everybody knows, is a defense over offense player, but they have to contribute when those opportunities come up because you've got so many good rotations, especially in that division, that divisions will just manipulate their way through the order and take their chances on certain guys. Uh, And so the complementary players in this type of situation have to step up and contribute it in the big in the big moments of a game where they have a chance to win the game.
1: All right, there's one other uh, an individual question I want to ask you about here because they, they, these are some staggering numbers. This was something that was on uh, MLB Network uh, over the weekend, and they had a graphic up that said highest paid active starting pitchers, highest paid active starters, this is the uh, with season statistics. Uh, Max Scherzer, forty three point three million dollars, and Justin Verlander, forty three. Uh, 0.3 million million. Both of them, $43,300,000. Scherzer's made five starts. Verlander's made two starts. Jacob Degrom, thirty-seven million, has made six starts. Garrett Cole, thirty-six million, has made eight starts. Stephen Strasburg. Some have even asked if he was still even in baseball. As <laughs> he's here's a guy that's making thirty-five million, obviously still on the injured list. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Jacob Degrom uh, is is on the injured list right now. And Carlos Rodon uh, for the Yankees, twenty-seven million, has yet to make a start. Otani, thirty million, has made eight starts. Obviously, we know what he's doing. Chris Sale, twenty-six million seven starts marcus stroman 24 million eight starts and zach wheeler uh 24 million and eight starts how about your thoughts on this uh these guys that are making some huge coin and uh some are struggling and others are injured
0: yeah and you know it, it, it that's the that's the you just named number one starters up and down and and when you have that type of talent the talent is based on track record the payday is based on track record. It's not based on the future. And uh, we've just got so much power and velocity in this game that injuries with the new pitch clock, with pitch shape, with pitch design, uh, with everything that's going on in in the pinching world right now, uh, you've got guys that are high-velocity arms that are breaking. And when they break, not only because of what you paid for the investment, uh, you have to be super cautious, especially this time of year, because the end game is to have them healthy in August, September, and October when, when the big games are on the line and you're trying to win a world championship. So there's a level of caution uh, when you rehab these guys and bring them back. But but you're talking about truly the the 1% of the game that have had Great performance, and they've earned the contracts that they've they've earned. But uh, they've also got a lot of mileage to them. So there's going to be moderate to high risk uh, when you sign guys like this. But you don't. If you have a chance to win, you certainly don't step away from a Jacob Degrom or a Max Scherzer or, or Carlos Schrodon. You you invest what you have to to get them. But but we as an industry are really seeing uh, top to bottom, amateur uh, to the major leagues, a high level of arms that are breaking because of the system that is in place to chase velocity. Um, And this is something that is is near and dear to my heart. My son pitched seven years professionally, uh, ended his career with a labrum surgery, had Tommy John his freshman year at Kansas. And so the pitching health uh, mantra has kind of been dear to me for a long time. And uh, as an industry, we pay more and we're getting less. Than we did back when you look at the Burt Lemons and the Nolan Ryans and guys like that. So, as an industry, it's something that we really have to pay attention to and try to address and just fix over the long haul
1: from top to bottom. Well, it's a good point because uh, anybody around here has seen the process that Tanner Witt is going through, and he just had his third start since coming back 13 months ago from T.J.'s surgery, and the first two starts, only two-thirds of an inning. They were very, very cautious, and then they were again. He went three innings, but but he only threw 40 pitches and had two, one, two, three innings, had one inning where he walked a guy, gave up a hit, and then gave up a wind-blowing three-run homer, but he felt better. We're going to hear from him uh, coming up in a little bit. Bit uh, from our post game conversation the other day, so I mean that's all part of the process. Even down at the collegiate level, of people are mining their Ps and Qs. And I know David Pierce and uh, and and Woody Williams and everybody is being very very cautious with Tanner Witt. If if they're doing that in that long term effort to make sure the guy gets back healthy,
0: and it's a tough spot because Tanner wants to win and he wants to be a part of this team and he wants to help this team not only get to Omaha but in Omaha, but but th- this doesn't happen overnight. I lived it. I mean, my son was 10 months post-Tommy John, and it took him probably another year to get back to just working up and down the mound, uh, fielding your position, holding runners, getting used to uh, the fatigue that comes with pitching deep into games. It's not something that happens overnight. And now you put a competitive hitter in the batter's box, and it becomes a real challenge. And so it's not something that happens overnight, But but that speaks – to the competitiveness of a Tanner with that he wants to be there for his team and his teammates. Uh, it's just going to take a little bit of time for him to get just the feel of being back out on the mound and those high adrenaline developmental moments that come with, with making a start. It's it's going to take a little bit of time.
1: All right. I, I know you got to get on a plane, but before you do, I'm, I'm going to end it on this on, on a light note and get your thoughts on this because, as you pointed out, and I have okay. as well, you and I are both kind of old-school baseball guys. So does it make you smile <laughs> – When when you see a moment like yesterday, uh, when you see Jake Bird of the Rockies clapping his hand against his glove and saying something to Bryce Harper, and Harper comes charging out of the dugout there, his quote was, I get emotion. I understand getting fired up for an inning and stuff like that. But once you make it about a team or make it about yourself or the other team, that's when I kind of got a problem with it. So he had to get restrained, and they get all that kind of stuff. And and uh, uh, there's a little bit a little bit of that gamesmanship and the yelling back and forth that goes on between the dugouts.
0: Yeah, and something tells me there was something prior between these twos and, and it may go all the way back to on the amateur circuit or, or you know, in, in the minor leagues. Which Bryce wasn't in the minor leagues long, but um, I think you got to be aware of one where you, where your organization's record is, and 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 two, in the moment, what kind of player you are. But uh, Bryce, I've watched him play since he was 12 years old. He is one of the most competitive players i've ever watched play the game of baseball and so he certainly took exception to it and you know the fans love that stuff they love the game within the game and the energy and and sometimes when your team is playing bad it's a little moment like that that will spark your team to rally around each other and you can shake off as a team so it certainly uh was a funny thing to see
1: final thing here gino somebody asked on the specs text line has robbie gross been the biggest surprise for the rangers
0: uh, he's a baseball player, man, and that, that's another example, and I've watched him play since he was in high school, another example of a guy finding the perfect fit uh, in understanding and knowing his role and then being surrounded by very good players uh, and knowing that he's got great opportunity, and that's the type of complementary player when you have stars around you and when you when the pressure's off you to be the guy that you can come in and relax and and Robbie's a tremendous young man, great baseball player that knows how to play the game. And and he's certainly playing to the best of his ability right now.
1: Okay. I, I know that your travel is done months in advance. It takes that kind of preparation to get you to do this. But I'm just going to say to you, you know, if you just could talk to the organization and letting you stick around in Arlington another week, you can hang out with us for the Big 12 tournament next week when it starts, you know. Oh,
0: what I would give! What <laughs> I, I would give! That would be so much fun. That hey. would be fun. All
1: right. Right? Hey, listen, uh, safe travels up to our. Arlington and enjoy the ball this week, and we'll catch up again next week. All right,
0: Craig, thanks so much. Appreciate
1: you. You bet. That's Dean Watson, the uh, assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals, uh, their uh, uh, director of Major League scouting. So. Yeah, it's it's always good to get caught up with him on all topics, MLB, uh, Rangers, Astros, as we mentioned, the high salaries, the low performers, the injuries, all of those things, and we uh, try to get that update uh, with Gino every week, and he is a man about the game, so he's on his way up to Arlington uh, for uh, that series, Rangers, Braves, it'd be a good one, uh, I, I would think, especially with the Rangers, of both of them with uh, identical records right now, Them both playing very, very well. All right, up next, we'll have our first Longhorn Notebook, we're going to hear from David Pierce, we're going to hear from Tanner Witt, uh, and, and a, a couple of other things. We will uh, try to give you without gumming it up too much the lowdown on what the Big 12 baseball uh, race scenarios look like, not just for, for Texas, but for the league. We'll do that. And some thoughts also on Texas softball and the seed they got yesterday. I know it's it's brought about a great deal of grumbling. We'll have some thoughts on that coming up when we continue with Light the Tower. On the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: All right. Thanks again to Gene Watson, from the Kansas City Royals, for joining us. Our weekly conversation. He got pushed back a couple of days, but normally, a weekly conversation with Gene to talk some Major League Baseball, which is always uh, a good consideration to have on this program, having an opportunity to do it. And uh, you know, one thing I didn't I didn't get a chance to ask him about, but this was a, kind of a scary moment. Uh, Ryan Feltner, uh, the Rockies pitcher, uh, suffered a skull fracture and a concussion when he got hit by a line drive at 92.7 miles per hour. That happened on Saturday against the Phillies. Nick Castellanos, with that that line shot in the second inning, Um, did not appear to lose consciousness after he spent a few minutes on the uh, ground to help to his feet. Uh, Bud Black, the manager, Confirmed he spent the night in the hospital, and after the scans had been discovered, he suffered a skull fracture and a concussion, and then black added, But overall, he's fine. It's t- feelings that it could have been worse, obviously, but he's going to miss some time. So he was communicating, communicating with, with, the, with uh, teammates via text. So uh, they said he was uh, pretty stable by the time the game ended and the guys were getting home. He was texting with our medical staff, parents. He said, and we texted last night. He was obviously in a concussed state, but he was fairly lucid. So that's good. That's a scary moment when it happens. You've done a lot of high school baseball. You've you've probably seen a scary moment or two over time. Yeah, uh, a few players have been hit
2: in the head mm-hmm. a couple times. Yeah, I've seen a lot of umps get hit this year. A lot more than usual. Really, just off of this weird. Foul Line tips, or, or ba- the oh, catcher yeah. will completely miss, and it'll go. It'll go in the no-go zone. And yeah, I've seen even a Texas softball game.
1: I did the first pitch of the game. Yeah, home umpire, home umpire plate got hit. And he had to leave the game. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, we've seen it happen a few times, and it's usually foul tips and things like that. I'll, I'll never forget. It was a, uh, a deal a few years ago uh, when they played Oklahoma up at Norman. In fact, it's the last time they've even played. Uh, in Norman, and that was in 2019. It was four years ago because they didn't play in. Uh, uh, I guess it, let's see. It would have been not 19, 18. In 2018, they didn't play in 2020 because the season had already been shut down by then. Texas was off to the 14 and three start before the uh, pandemic hit, and and uh, and they shut everything down due to COVID. So and then. They didn't play up there last year in 2022 because Oklahoma allowed the series to be bought out, if you will, by Rev Entertainment, that which is the Texas Rangers entertainment arm there at Globe Life. And so that entire series got shifted to Arlington. So Texas hadn't played there in five years. It'll be six years when they go back next year. Um, in the, the Longhorns' final year in the Big 12 Conference and Oklahoma's final year in the Big 12 Conference, it'll be on the reverse since Oklahoma came here this year. It'll be uh, the Longhorns' term uh, to do this. Now, Grant, now this was unnecessary. When you say umps you know, or D-backs, come on now, come on. Well, that when it was uh, last night um, at the uh, National Football Foundation and uh, College Hall of Fame High School Scholar-Athlete Banquet uh, great uh, high school football student athletes, uh, one from uh, each of 31 schools in the area were recognized, and also the tex and Sportsmanship Award was given out uh, for uh, great sportsmanship by head coach, by Tasso by the Texas Sports A- uh, Association of Sports Officials, and Wayne Elliott, who we all know, great guy, chapter president, and Wayne... Uh, uh presented it presented that award by the way to galen zimmerman coach at big springs uh and he said he was completely surprised and made some nice remarks he sat down and i saw him after the after he goes it's one of those deals where you are in a haze i sat down i don't even remember anything that i said so it was good it was fine but when i introduced wayne i said you know the officials blah 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 and i uh i said so we're gonna ask wayne to come on up here and you know, get some recognition because it's one of the few times that you guys get, you know, get some nice things said about you. But they they do a great job. Uh, speaking of all of that, it's time now for a Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook. It's our first hour, a notebook and uh, shifting it back to baseball, uh, where the Longhorns did take the two of three against San Jose State. Uh, if if you missed out on this, they they what they did was had to compress the series because of the threat of a lot of rain. In the final analysis, by the way, there was very little rain that happened. There was some rain before game one on Friday afternoon, which they moved forward to 2 o'clock in anticipation of a lot of heavy rain on uh, Friday night and Saturday and Sunday. And saying Saturday would be almost unplayable and Sunday uh, might be only slightly better. So they moved it to a doubleheader. Game one was played Friday afternoon. There was a little brief shower, uh, but that was it, just a little tiny one. Other than that... It was fine. No action was interrupted. Um, The Longhorns probably could have used an interruption in the eighth inning instead of the interruption that was supplied by San Jose State. They rallied with three in the eighth one in the ninth. There was a a wild pitch and and an error that contributed to it as well. So San Jose State wins the first game 6-4. In between games, now normally in Big 12 Conference, you have uh, 45 minutes if you're going to play a double header. But they wanted to keep the evening contest at its regularly scheduled Friday night time of 6.30. So the first game was at 2 o'clock, and it got done relatively early. So they had really about an hour and 45-hour, 50 minutes, something in between time. So it ends, and uh, and it was just like a steam bath because even though it wasn't raining that much, it was unbelievably humid and, and muggy and all that sort of stuff. So after a little while giving the guys a chance to cool off and, and change uniform and all that kind of stuff. Stay, same thing with the coaches. I go down to the uh, clubhouse to visit with uh, Coach Pierce uh, because we do a pregame you know, interview. We do a pregame uh, visit with uh, Coach Pierce. And at the time, coming off that loss, I uh, asked him, I said, there's a little more t- separation time. In between, he talked about how disappointing it was for the game to get away the way that it did in the eighth inning. But not only that, he said the fact that the team, the ball club left runners stranded was really not good in several times. So uh, I asked him, I said, you've got more time in between games here. Does anything change in terms of the prep or how it's viewed or what you say to the team or what they do? And he said, you know, they're going to have to figure that out he said that on the end. They're going to have to figure out there's some things that they have got to get straight. Coaches can only do and say so much. They've got to figure out. And they did. And they went about it, and they attacked right from the start. And they they uh, scored the most runs. The Texas team has scored in uh, 18 years. I think two, five, 2005, the last time. They scored 24 runs. Uh, they won that one 24-3. And, uh, and then came back on Saturday. And by the way, in the booth on Friday night, Speaking of the weather, so Roger Wallace and I are calling the game, and none other than KXAN meteorologist Kristen Curry shows up. So she dropped by just to say hi, and I said, no, 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 you're not getting away that easy. Put on a headset. we gotta, we got to get some weather lowdown, down. And she nailed it for Saturday. She said, you're going to be okay. She said, it'll clear out. It'll be All right. Uh, to To finish the series, and and she did. She was right on top of it on Saturday, and then Saturday and the Longhorns were as well. They went twenty four to three. The other big story that come out of this, other than obviously the obviously uh, the Dylan Campbell extending his his school record hitting streak to thirty games now it's thirty straight games uh, that uh, that uh, DC has gotten a base hit. But in addition to that. Uh, folks were going to be very, very interested in how Tanner Witt did. So Witt went three innings. He had two, one, two, three innings, the first and the third. And the second, he gave up a hit and a walk, and then that uh, home run that got just beyond Campbell's reach. But it was a home run over the right field wall, so he did give up those three. It was a designated start, which you can do a non conference play, designate him eligible for the decision. So. Uh, he ended up picking up the win because Longhorns turned around and just bashed uh, Spartan pitching after that. They went 18-6. to So that was part of the conversation, but it was about the resiliency of the team bouncing back after that first loss to win handily in the second game of the doubleheader, then take the series. Second week in a row, the Longhorns had dropped the first game of a series, then won the series. They did it at Kansas the week before. They not had to deal with that or do that all season and they've been able to pull it off back-to-back weekend. So this was Ty Harrington's conversation with head coach David Pierce after the ball game.
4: You know, we dealt with a lot this weekend, but I really like the way we responded and got this uh, series done. We've talked a lot about May baseball, and, you know, we just advanced again,
3: and that's big for our team, the way we responded. You respond with 42 runs. Offensively, you guys approach. I know you know this, and I'm – you know, preaching to choir, particularly to you. You guys came out early with your offense approach. Everything was middle away. Your offense was really locked in, lasered in. They were not going to be denied today.
4: No, their lefty is down angle, 93, 94 in the first. And we got after him and, you know, He's been good for them, and it got to their bullpen early. But so proud of just their ability to go in there, get their work done, and have the right intent at home plate. And, you know, this team's still growing. We're still trying to get better. And the growth of getting beat on game, in game one and to respond like that, it, it's big for us. And we need to be in this, these adverse situations. You know, you get to the tournament,
3: you might be playing a 9 a.m. game. And so it's just things you have to deal with. Let's talk about the pitching a little bit. Tanner Witt goes back out there, three innings today. Got to put those spikes in the dirt for three innings today, which is important to that young man because he loves, as you know, he loves being out there. Travis comes in behind him. Talk to us a little bit about the pitching today. Yeah, it's pretty
4: good piggyback. I mean, uh, I guess Tanner's our opener now.
3: <laughs> but I'll say this: uh, I thought he had
4: real, co- real good command of. of of his curveball and change-up, and fastball started getting that down angle. Still probably a little tick below his velocity, but that's okay. Just his movement, he was much more connected in his delivery, which created much better sync, and that was great to see. And, you know, everybody loves to watch him compete because he loves doing it.
3: Let's talk timing now because you guys – Still in this to, to win a possible regular season championship moving forward. You got a big week coming up next week. Talk to us a little bit more about the timing because it changes to Thursday, Friday, Saturday series next week on the last Big 12 conference series of the year. Well, that's when this day becomes advantageous as well
4: to get that extra day of rest and kind of keep a regular schedule. Uh, there's no midweek, uh, so tomorrow we'll we're taking tomorrow off. We'll sit around and watch other games and. Root for certain people, <laughs> and uh, just put ourselves in a position, hopefully, to have
3: opportunity and go in and get ready for uh, a really good West Virginia team, so see what happens. You know, none of, coaches, we never love losing the first game of a series. You've lost, you know, the first one, the last two series, but you show a lot of resiliency, a lot of competitiveness. you got to, moving forward, as you refer to it, May baseball, you got to love that about your team right now. I do. I really do. I like the way. Um, they felt after getting
4: beat. I liked the way that they responded. I mean, just the look in their eye, they were they were not going to be denied the next two games. And just a sign of growth. And, you know, we're trying to get better on the field, but we're trying to also grow up. And, you know, we have some guys that are playing really well, and they need to keep that, that mentality and that intent and, and continue to understand why they're being successful. And the guys that are struggling, just hang in there, just keep going. Uh they both, both sides need to just stay intense and, and be ready to go and keep working, and it'll work out for them.
1: So uh, the thoughts of David Pierce there uh, after the game, we're, we'll hear from Tanner Witt coming up next hour. A couple of things. First of all, in the Big 12 standings, because I know we've had a lot of folks asking, for example, CB just texted, if Texas sweeps West Virginia, is that how they win the Big 12? Not exactly, uh, but not completely is the proper phraseology. Uh, here, here's the standings right now. You got one weekend to go in Big Twelve Conference play, and the only school—it's just weird how this works out. The only school not playing a conference series this weekend is Baylor, and it, and it kind of is almost fitting because the Bears got swept by TCU over the weekend. They're done. They're eliminated. They will be the odd team out and will not play in the Big 12 Conference Tournament because only the top eight go. Baylor is assured of finishing in last place so uh, in ninth. So they will not be in the Big 12. And it will be the first time, by the way, that Baylor has not qualified for the Big 12 Baseball Tournament. There's been some years when Texas didn't make it, obviously, as we know, most recently 2019. But uh, Baylor had never failed to qualify for the Big 12 baseball tournament until this year, first time for them. And they finished conference play at 6-18. and They've got a non-conference series in Waco against Cal State Bakersfield this weekend, but they'll finish their season from there. So here's the standings. You have West Virginia at 15-6. and West Virginia took 2-3 from Texas Tech over the weekend in Morgantown. Oklahoma State is thirteen and eight. The Cowboys took two of three from Kansas State and Stillwater Oak, uh, over the weekend. Then Texas and Kansas State are both twelve and nine in the league. Technically, if it ended today, the, the Longhorns would be the three seed because they won the season, the uh, regular season series against Kansas State. Texas would be the three seed if it ended today, but we know there's one week to go. Kansas State, like I said, is twelve and nine. They're both tied for third at the moment. TCU is in fifth place at eleven and ten. Texas Tech and Oklahoma are tied for 6th. Both are 10-11. and 11. Kansas is 7-14. and 14. Um, it, the, the seeds are not yet wrapped up, any of them right now, other than the fact that Baylor won't be in, because, for example, Kansas, which is in 8th place and probably will finish in 8th, but they're 7-14. They play in Lubbock this weekend. If somehow Kansas were to sweep all three games in Lubbock, they would move up, and Texas Tech would move down to uh, the eight seed, if that were to happen. Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State. You have Bedlam this weekend in Norman. They don't split that series anymore. They play a couple of non-conference uh, games against one another. Don't count in the uh, Big 12 standings during the season. But when they play their conference series, they just rotate Stillwater to Norman, and this year it's in Norman. All of these series, by the way, are Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All of them are. Uh, TCU plays at Kansas State. And again, the Frogs are 11 and 10. K-State is 12 and 9. That's in Manhattan. Uh, and then, of course, Texas is hosting West Virginia. For those of you wanting to know, like CB just texted, uh, Texas, A, first of all, would have to sweep West Virginia. And we'll talk more about the Mountaineers as the week goes on, but you're going to see how difficult a task that's going to be when we tell you about what this West Virginia team has done this year. But you start from that premise. That would put both of them at 15 and 9. Now, remember, Oklahoma State is 13 and 8 going into the weekend in Bedlam. If they were to sweep all three games and Texas were to sweep West Virginia, Oklahoma State would be the outright Big 12 regular season champion. But so what the Longhorns would need, in case you're wondering, they obviously would have to sweep West Virginia. Oklahoma State would have to lose one game uh, to Oklahoma to force a three-way tie there at 15 and 9 and if Kansas State were to sweep TCU they too would be 15 and 9. There would be a four-way tie for first. In that four-way tie. Yeah, I believe Oklahoma State draws the one seed in Texas the two in a three-way tie with West Virginia, Oklahoma State and Texas. The Longhorns would draw the one seed based on the better head-to-head record. They all would have won a series against one another, but Texas would have the only sweep in that. So the odds are very, very long. The, the, the key to that whole deal is just playing well against a, a team that's really good and has a high RPI and can help Texas in terms of the regional uh, projections and the regional consideration for that. So you're a
2: Texas fan, Craig. Basically, you're rooting for absolute chaos.
1: That's what you have to have. It basically has to come down. Now, this has happened before, not quite on this level, but there was some chaos, I guess, in 2018 when uh, Oklahoma State uh, uh, wound up sweeping Tech and the Longhorns got their sweep uh, against TCU and wound up winning the uh, conference title on the last day of the season. I mean, chaos has happened before, but this would be quad-level chaos because you had West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Kansas State. So the best thing and most important thing, and David Pierce will say, is they got to take care of business and go out and do what they have to do. Now, before we get to the break, uh, Texas softball. Uh, The the Longhorns reached the final of the Big 12 Conference Tournament. They lost pretty handily to Oklahoma 6-1 in that Conference Tournament Championship. Texas finished outright second in the Big 12, and they uh, were the number two seed there in the tournament and got to the final. And they had better RPI numbers than, say, Oklahoma State. They swept Oklahoma State during the course of the season. So there was a lot of grumbling. And if you saw the camera shots last night on the local news that, uh, that came from the ESPN uh, selection announcement, there were a lot of unhappy Longhorns there to see that Texas only, quote-unquote, only drew the number 13 seed. So what that means is Texas will be at home this week at McCombs Friday afternoon against Seton Hall, the Big East champ. They play them at 4 o'clock. Then Texas State got in as an at-large. That was good to see. They play A&M at 630. So it's a challenging regional for Texas. And then if they win that, and if the seeds hold the form, they'd have to go to Knoxville to play Tennessee. So a lot of people really upset about this and saying they, they deserved a higher seed. And I do think they did deserve a higher seed. I am not surprised at all And listening to Andrew Haynes as well. He said, uh, unless Texas won the Big 12 tournament title, odds are they were not going to be a top eight. And I think the other thing that bothers people is that Oklahoma State wound up being a six seed on that. But also hearing Mike White talk about it, he said he thought the team fell about where he thought he said 11, 12, 13. So for all the folks who are saying they, you know, they got hosed, they did this, they did that, they didn't, they, they, uh, they weren't given a good deal by the NCAA. There are numbers to back up those claims. I'm not disputing that at all. Um, I'm just kind of deferring back to what Mike White said based on, here's the other thing. You can't get swept in the final weekend of the regular season against a big 12 also ran in Baylor that got knocked out on the first round that hurt. So I think all of that added into the tournament selection committees mindset when they did that. All right, coming up, we've got inconceivable and we'll get our number two underway, Uh, We'll hear from Tanner Witt next tower. We've got a lot to get to when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn. 1049. 1019 AM 1260. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower.
0: Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means.
1: Here's what it means on a Monday morning. Okay, so it's a Monday morning, which means we're coming off the weekend, right? Uh, Cam... You are a, a man of very uh, varied, if not also eclectic, musical tastes. Do you like the work of The Weeknd? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. Do you know that The Weeknd is no more? And I don't mean he's passed away. He hasn't. Have no. you heard about this? No. Uh, of course, The Weeknd is from Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has reverted to his birth name on social media. Abel, right? Uh, That's right. Uh, So Abel Makinen, is it testify? Sure. All right. Uh, He said he wants to officially be known online by his real name. Uh, uh, Today, his Twitter and Instagram accounts had updated to display his birth name rather than his artistic name. And the plan is a part of a, the change is part of a wider plan to, in his words, quote, Kill the weekend is what uh, Testify told W Magazine in an interview that was published last week. He said, it's getting to a place in time where I'm getting ready to close the weekend chapter. I'll still make music, maybe as a bell, maybe as the weekend, but I still want to kill the weekend. And I will. Eventually, I'm definitely trying to shed that skin and be reborn. And he said his upcoming album might be the final album he ever does as the hmm. weekend so
2: i'm curious it's like a pr publicity thing just to drive up more albums the artist
1: formerly known as the weekend yeah, I, yeah so there, there's know, a few musical
2: acts that have done that right solo yeah. guys who they've kind of gone away from their name
1: right chance the rapper did that with he changed he donnie trumpet i believe yeah yeah absolutely uh, a couple of uh sports related things um i heard aaron and bucky talking about this morning i had it uh, nailed down as well. It's a it's a pretty interesting story. Um, they were talking about pickleball. Now, have you played pickleball I before? Have. Okay, what do you think of it? I think it's good cardio. Okay,
2: yeah, I I do enjoy it with the right people because you don't you don't have to. It's on like tennis where you can just show up and play with your beer in your hand.
1: Yeah, right. It's kind of a what a a scaled down version between tennis and badminton and ping pong yeah, kind of thing. Basically. Right. Okay. Well, it might be coming to your local mall soon Mm -hmm. uh, because stores like Bed Bath & Beyond, who are closing down, Old Navy and Saks, Fifth Avenue stores, uh, these malls are now needing new tenants to fill vacant spaces and draw customers beyond the traditional department store anchors and clothing stores. So uh, several of these malls, for example, there's one in Connecticut that uh, has taken an empty, two-story, Saks off fifth retail store in Stamford, Connecticut. And it's going to become one of the largest indoor pickleball venues in the United States. Two levels. Mm-hmm. So where you used to see menswear, there's pickleball going on. Where you used to run across appliances or something, there's pickleball. <laughs> it's happening. Pickleball is a fast-rising sport there. So just a couple things. One other uh, sporting note thing. Uh, I know you're fired up as a at least a postseason Stars fan, right? As yeah. has been unearthed on this program. You got Game Seven tonight. Stars, cracking, uh, at American Airlines Center. Did you? I know you're a big Stars postseason fan. Are you a postseason hockey fan overall?
2: I'll, I'll keep in touch All with right. the other teams.
1: All right. Did you keep in touch with what happened with Edmonton and Vegas last night? Not last night. Okay. They had Game Six, and it did not start until nine o'clock. Now, it was in Mountain Time because it was in Edmonton. Yeah, that's right. But Ended
2: at like midnight
1: yeah, our time, right? Yeah. So there were people that were angry about that, certainly mad about that. But apparently what they were really mad about is the game started on ESPN yeah. 2 while ESPN was finishing up a 9-1 Cardinals win over the Red Sox on Sunday baseball. So yeah, a lot of people tweeting in on that. Uh that uh, also the NHL asked ESPN to move baseball to ESPN2 when it got 9-1 and started thing and ESPN said no. We're not doing it.
2: Is that a contract thing you think Uh
1: I, I think they probably could have I don't know. Yeah. Uh somebody tweeted just so everyone is aware. ESPN2 aired the road to the women's college world series. That was the selection show. Cornhole and X Games Japan, while ESPN aired a nine-one baseball game, and that and that baseball game is why this elimination game started on ESPN two. So, uh, <laughs> so so NHL Zone said first you had a ten p.m. Eastern start time, then you have the start of the game moved to ESPN two. Tonight is a disaster and will cause whatever trust hockey fans gained in ESPN to go completely away. Does it mean they're going to stop watching? Of course not. No, just you know, not happy about it, and understandably so. Okay, um, there's a couple of other things that are pretty interesting. Pizza shop owner in uh, um, Evansville, Indiana, The Slice. Eric Weber's is the owner of The Slice, said that he discovered a homeless man sleeping and living in a tent behind his restaurant. And he said, okay, he can stay. It's okay. Now he's facing serious repercussions from the city of Evansville because of it. He's being fined up to $7,000 by the city for not evicting the man experiencing in homelessness behind the pizza shop. He said, look, I know it's wrong just to kick a poor homeless guy down the street when you can provide care for him just as easily as anybody else can. Since finding the man living he, behind his restaurant, he's taken it upon himself to help him when he can. Uh, but he's now being threatened with thousands of dollars in fines from city officials. He's already received, received a $500 fine from the Evansville Area Planting Commission, which said the tent was a structure that violated a city ordinance for land use. And this fine would increase rapidly every day and could swell to more than $7,000 per day. Despite the cost, he refuses to evict the homeless man and says he's letting him continue to stay there because it's the right Thing to do wow. he said if you're looking at the greater good in this situation the aesthetics of the alley and taking care of a homeless person which one makes more sense they're basically persecuting me because he lives out in a tent behind the shop between two different dumpsters so there it is for that guy and one other story this is one that uh, my wonderful wife provided for me and it, it is quite the story this happened in Michigan how about this is your headline really Teen uses slingshot to save sister from alleged kidnapper. Wow, is that John Wick or <laughs> what? <laughs> this happened in Alpena Township uh, on uh, on Wednesday. If you know where Alpena is, it's way up. If you look at Michigan, you know where the thumb is, mm-hmm. so there it's north of there on Lake Huron uh, up there. So it's it's way up there a bit. And an eight year old girl was in her backyard. In Alpena Township, uh, it said she was mushroom hunting, just picking, like, flowers and stuff, when, according to Michigan State Police, an unknown male appeared from the woods. The suspect had come through the woods, onto the property, and came from behind her, grabbed her like you'd see in the movies, hand over the mouth, arm around the waist, and was attempting to pull her into the woods. The girl was able to break free, and as he started to go after her, Her 13-year-old brother, who witnessed the attack, had his slingshot, picks up, and nails the dude, not once, but twice. He hit him in the chest, and then he hit him in the head. Oh, man. Um, So the police chief, their lieutenant, or Lieutenant John Grimshaw, with the Michigan State Police, called the actions extraordinary. He said, he really is the one that I believe saved his sister's life. Uh, or either her life or something seriously bad happening to her. The suspect fled the area but was located by state troopers hiding in a nearby gas station. You know how they recognized him? Identified because of the mark on his head that he took from him. It said the suspect had obvious signs of injury sustained from the slingshot with wounds to his head and chest. So, uh, suspect taken in custody allegedly confessed to detectives that he planned on severely beating the victim. Makes no sense at all. Wads in the Alpena County Jail. Um, so there, he was arraigned uh, there. And a Bond set $150,000.
2: Best use of a slingshot since David killed Goliath? Had
1: to be. Right? Had to be. Nailed him. Times two. Got him in the chest, got him in the head. Way to go. All right. <laughs> We're already in hour number two. We've got more to come up. We're going to start off with... Our Flex 30 update. I know somebody had said, hey, Craig, that uh, said, apologies if you've already uh, said it. Have you talked much about the high school? But no, we're going to do that. We'll get you caught up in the high school baseball and softball playoffs going on. Also, we're going to hear from Jamal Fenner. We'll do that. Have our second hour Longhorn Notebook. You'll hear from Tanner Witt. Still to come here on Life the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.